This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, a big day for Schwarbs and the Nats. We have a winner at the U.S. Open. Sixers and Hawks play a do-or-die game seven in Philly. And one NFL receiver says, I'm going to do what I want to do, whether you like it or not. And that's causing uh, quite a stir around the league. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of uh, the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off the work week. Hope you had yourself a fantastic weekend. Happy uh, one day late, a belated Father's Day to one and all dads out there. Doing the do, doing the job. Hope you had a great uh, weekend, a great uh, yesterday. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Uh, check out our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush, at Rush Tony C, Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All of those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, get involved on the show. It's highly encouraged. Drop me a line. You got a question, a comment? an opinion, whatever. Hit me up on Twitter and Facebook. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shum on. <laughs> Told you, I don't have the voice today. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus the commercials. So if you missed any part of today's show, you can go back later on today and check it out. Or any other show before today. It's all all up there. Just download that free Podbean app on your phone or tablet, and there you go. All right, lots to get to today, so let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with Major League Baseball, where the Nationals' Kyle Schwarber capped off a monster weekend against the Mets. Here's the 0-1. Swing a fly ball, well hit left field. Back on this one, Smith toward the track near the wall, and it's off the top of the wall. The call on the Nationals radio network, not one, not two, but three. A first career three-homer game for Schwarber as the Nats beat the Mets 5-2 to take three of four in the weekend series. Schwarber now has 18 homers on the year. He tied a major league record with five home runs in two games because he hit two on Saturday. And he set the Nationals slash Expos franchise record with nine homers in 10 games. Schwarber drove in four of the five runs yesterday, his second straight four RBI game. 
Uh, here he is after the game. To be honest with you, I don't know what's going on. You know, obviously, this like I, I've said before, the consistent work in the cage I think has been a, a big thing, and um, I think overall just feeling com- comfortable at the plate. I, I, I think that's uh, a big contributor, and um, you know, I'm, I'm not going up there just trying to hit home runs. You know, I'm just you know, I got a guy on second base trying to drive him in, and uh, ball, you know. Hits the top of the fence, goes out, you know, things like that. I mean, there's there's a little bit of luck involved, but, uh, you know, happy to get the job done and uh, happy to get the win at the end of the day. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, there's mechanical, there's approach, things like that. But, you know, when you step in the box and everything feels right, you already got a big advantage. And uh, it's just a matter of, I would say, trusting everything else and, you uh, you know, that's what I've been doing is just trusting and um, not trying to do too much. And you know what? Like, I don't want to expand. I'm not trying to swing at balls out of the zone. And, uh, you know, if you take a walk, you pass on the next guy. So Schwarber mashing this weekend, more importantly for the Nationals. Uh, Washington entered the weekend seven games behind the first place Mets in the NL East. They are now five back. Of the lead. Elsewhere, the Pirates were looking to sweep the Indians out of Pittsburgh. Uh, they did not. Pulls it right into the heart of the shift and it gets through. Coming around third and scoring the go ahead run is Eddie Rosario. Josh Naylor, he threaded the needle and the Indians take a two to one lead. His second hit of the ball game. So the Indians get there and that goes to Brubaker. He's upset. The call on Fox Sports Ohio, 2-1 the final. The Indians get the win to avoid the three-game sweep. J.T. Brubaker, you heard her mention right there, pitched extremely well for the Pirates, going six and two-thirds innings, allowing two runs on three hits with nine strikeouts. He was pulled by manager Derek Shelton in favor of Chasen Shreve with two outs in the seventh. Shreve immediately... Gave up the RBI single to Naylor. That run was charged to Brubaker, who gets the loss. After the game, a manager, Shelton, was asked by the media, you know, why make the move? Shelton, it seemed like you got the matchup that you wanted there with the way Naylor hits lefties, the way Shreve is fared against lefties. Is that the move, um, or is it more about protecting JT and, and, you know, more of a future focus kind of thing? No, it was, it was all about the matchup. JT did a heck of a job. I mean, he threw the ball extremely well, was extremely efficient. Uh, we went into that inning. If we had, you know, a guy on base and we had the left-hander there, we were going to go to Shreve. And Shriver came in and got a ground ball that, that went through. But, yeah, it was a matchup. JT threw the ball well. So that was 100%, you know, my decision on we had the matchup we liked. And, uh, you know, it didn't work out. But JT threw the ball well. I'm sure you heard the reaction uh, from the crowd even when you came out before the hit happened. Um, and there there has been a pattern lately where you've taken guys out, I guess by some measures, pretty quickly. Um, how do you how do you respond to that? I mean, I know you're not going to you know revisit every decision and say I apologize for all of these or whatever, but you know how do you approach that? I actually I do revisit every decision. I think about it after games. I mean, the fact of that response that they're passionate, that's good. I mean, they wanted him to stay in the game. I, under, I understand that. I mean, I made the decision that I thought was the best decision for us at the time. But, 
the fact that they're passionate, I love that. You know, the fact they're back in the ballpark, that's great. Yeah, uh, fans at PNC Park not happy. Letting Shelton know about it when he came out to get uh, Brubaker. And I love, I, I don't know who it was, I love the reporter right there saying, hey, uh, there's been a string of decisions lately that have kind of backfired, because there has been. And this one, uh, just the latest. Jacob Stallings, oh, by the way, had an RBI single to drive in the only run for the Bucks, And in Baltimore, Reese McGuire, former Pirate, had three doubles as part of a four-hit day as the Blue Jays beat the Orioles 7-4 to take two of three in the series. Hyunjin Ryu uh, threw seven solid innings for Toronto, allowing just one run on three hits. He is 2-0 with a 0.95 ERA in three starts against the Orioles since joining the Jays last season. Trey Mancini homered twice uh, for the O's, who have lost 10 of their last 11. Uh, speaking of the Orioles in Penmar baseball action, the Cumberland Orioles played four this weekend and won four. On Saturday, the, they beat the Oakland Oaks, a 6-4 and 9-5. And then yesterday, they swept the, is it Mako Thunderbirds? Moco? I, I don't know how it's pronounced. I really Either way, they lost both games. Uh, Wes Athey had two hits and drove in three runs in one of those wins against the T-Birds. And in high school football over the weekend, yes, high school football in June. West Virginia's annual North-South game was played uh, Saturday at uh, South Charleston High School, and the North won the game 26 to nothing thanks to a bunch of Eastern Panhandle players. Eastern Panhandle represent. Spring Mills quarterback Keon Padmore-Johnson scored on touchdown runs of 42 and 10 yards. He also had a 42-yard touchdown pass. Martinsburg's Kevon Warren had a 14-yard touchdown run. Padmore Johnson and Warren accounted for 245 of the North's 270 yards. Musselman's Justin Reinhardt led the North defense with 10 tackles. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. And going back to the Pirates game for a moment, it is what I like to call the Kevin Cash syndrome. And you remember going back to the last World Series, Tampa Bay manager Kevin Cash pulled Blake Snell, who was cruising against the Dodgers because of the matchup, because of what the book said, and it burned him. Yesterday, although you know the stakes weren't quite as high, a regular season game in June, but still. Shelton does the same thing. He he plays the matchup. And, and this is what I've been saying for a while now. That managers just, some of them, not all of them, some, they just don't know how to manage anymore. Like everything is by the book. Like Brubaker, what, what I say the numbers were again, Six and two-thirds, right? Where's it at here? <clears throat> Six and two-thirds. At that point, he only allowed one run on three hits, nine strikeouts, one walk. There's a guy on second, two outs. Let him finish the damn game. 
or, or the inning at least. I'm sorry, the inning. Let him get out of it. Let him pitch. He he was throwing such and you and you heard the end of that clip that we played from Fox Sports Ohio because as I was watching the video with that clip, as soon as that RBI single by Naylor went through, run scores, Indians up two to. They immediately went to the dugout, the Pirates dugout, and Brew Baker was mad, and he should have been. He pitches a great game and still gets collared with the loss because Shelton played the matchup. First of all, who is chasing Shreve, by the way? Who in the hell is that guy? It seems like every single time I turn on a Pirates game, there's a player who's mentioned, and I look at my family and go, who? Or they look at me and go, who is that dude? Every single game. I had never even heard of Chasen Shreve until yesterday. Oh, but yeah, you gotta play the matchup. Uh, it's a lefty on lefty. Uh, gotta consult the book. Uh, let him pitch. If if you leave him in, and he gets he allows a hit, at least. He allows the hit. At least he gives up the run. At least he earns that loss. That runner on second was his responsibility. And if it's his responsibility, then you leave him in to be responsible for it. Don't put it in somebody else's hands, especially somebody named Chasen Shreve, who promptly gives up the RBI single to make it 2-1. to one. Now, look, the jury is still out on Derek Shelton. I think everybody kind of gets a pass for last season because last season was Shelton's first year in Pittsburgh. Everybody gets a pass. Last season was just an absolute mess. It was only a a 60-game season. Pirates had the worst record in baseball last year. So you're kind of like, all right, you give them a pass for this year. And even now, we're only uh, two and a half months in, whatever it is. But we're starting to see a pattern here where Shelton is making some decisions in-game that simply aren't working out. And you kind of have to take it all. I don't know. He doesn't have much to work with, so I'll give him that much because the Pirates stink. The roster stinks, especially the pitching. But that should be taken into consideration when you make a move like that. Like, it's not very often this year the Pirates have had a starter go six and two-thirds, giving up one run. So leave him in. Leave him in. If it gives up a hit, then okay. Then he, But he gets the loss, and he had nothing to do with it because Shreve comes in and immediately craps the bed. Yeah, but it's the matchup. It's lefty on lefty. So dumb. Just just manage. Just let him in. I don't know why I'm getting upset over Team S 20 games under 500. But I thought we, we had seen the end of this when Clint Hurdle was sent packing. Because Hurdle was the worst of the worst. Clint Hurdle was the worst of the worst. 
when it came to pitching decisions, leaving guys in, taking guys out. He was one of the worst I've ever seen in any manager, in any on any team, not just the Pirates. Shelton, early on, not really doing too much to make us forget about Clint Hurdle. He's <laughs> just not. Just frustrating. You know? Now, look, I understand hindsight being what it is. If Shreve comes in and he strikes out Naylor or he gets him the ground out, then we're not even here sitting there talking about it, right? Which is like, oh, we're not even mentioning it. Because the game's still tied 1-1. Who knows what happens after that? But guess what? It didn't work. It failed. And, again, this is becoming a bad habit for Shelton and the Pirates. I'm not saying Shelton's the main reason why they're 25 and 45, but he ain't helping. Nationals, big, nice series against the Mets this weekend. Nice series. As I mentioned earlier, there are seven games out of first heading into the weekend. Now they're only five back. They take three or four from the Mets. And we have a habit sometimes of forgetting what happens Early on in seasons, right? Ah, well, early on, you know, series in, you know, April and May. And, ah, they don't, you know, we, we, we pay attention more towards the end of the season, heading down the home stretch, the race for the pennant. That's a big series. If the Nationals climb back into contention, if they climb back into contention for the NL East, what happened this past weekend is a big series. And it, it can't be forgotten. To take three or four from the Mets, And like I said, go from seven back to five back. Nats are no longer in last place. That now uh, distinction now belongs to the Marlins. And as we mentioned a while ago, Nationals very fortunate to play in a division which we thought was going to be one of the toughest divisions in baseball, and it really isn't. The Mets are only seven games over five hundred. But now the Nationals, off of what happened this past weekend, they are tied with the Braves. Both teams are now 33 and 36. Five games back, Philadelphia, four games back. So the Nats right there. And again, it's June 21st. A lot can happen between now and October, obviously, or September, whatever. But if there is such a thing as a a big series early in the season, This past weekend was one of them. And then Nats got the job done. Still a lot of work to be done. Still three games under 500. But the Nats now 8-2 in their last 10. So maybe if they get their pitching sorted out because Scherzer's on the I.L., Strasburg's on the I.L., Corbin's been up and down. Got to get that rotation, you know, steady. If they can get that rotation steady and Schwarber keeps on knocking a cover off the ball from that leadoff spot, oh, by the way, Josh Bell keeps on getting better. Juan Soto, who is having a decent year by normal player standards, all right? Decent year by normal player standards, not by his standards. So if he happens to get hot in July and August, the Nats can turn it around. And there's no question in my mind they can turn it around. 
this weekend might be the jumpstart. It might be the springboard they need to really make a push through the rest of June and July. And then you know they're going to be moving and shaking at the trade deadline. And you, you just know it. They add a couple pieces. Maybe they can add a couple more Pirates because that's what they've been doing, right? Maybe, <laughs> maybe they can pill for the Pirates for a couple more players to put them over the hump. I'm trying to find Soto's numbers real quick. Ah, uh, come on now. Give me the stats for the season. Here we go. 276. All right, so Juan Soto, uh, he's batting 276, not a great average. He has eight homers, 29 RBI, OPS of 838. Again, decent numbers for a decent, you know, a lot of players would, would, would take that. By his standards, that's actually that's below, below average for him. So he gets hot. Schwarber stays hot. Nationals, look, this is a long season. And they have a real chance to get back. Well, they already are. They're already back into the NL East hunt. Because I don't see any team in that division pulling away anytime soon. Right? Like I said, you got five games separating one first place through fourth place. So big series for the Nats. Big series for Schwarber. Just mashing it. Nine homers in ten games. Look out. All right, time for a break. When we come back, NBA playoffs, Sixers, Hawks, do or die game seven. Who moved on? We'll tell you next. Stick around. WCMD. This is the morning rush. Just another lack of sleep again. Happens every Monday. Some Mondays are worse than others. I'm sure you can relate. Again, I just, I I, I get my, my time, my schedule flipped during the weekends. Throughout the week. I'm up at 3.30 every morning. Come the weekend, I'm sleeping. I'm one of those people who I'm going to sleep in no matter what. If I have an opportunity to sleep in, like I'm not one of those people who are like, well, it's the weekend, but I still want, you know, I still want to get up around 9. I know it's Saturday, but I still want to set my alarm. No, I'm not that person. If I have a chance to sleep in, I'm sleeping in. Leave me alone. That's I'm so, I'm taking it. If I sleep for nine hours, I'm sleeping for nine. If I sleep, I think I slept for like 10 hours, either it was yesterday or the night before. I yeah. Plus, it's a backup. I, I'm so tired by the time the week's over because I'm constantly losing sleep that I feel like I got to make up for it on the weekend. But then Monday morning rolls around and I'm back up at 3.30 and I feel like this. If I had to venture a guess, two hours sleep last night. That's that's that is a legit. That's a pretty good get, two hour sleep, which is why my this is what happens when I get really tired. My voice is just, it's not there. Anyway, I know I know nobody cares, but you know what? It's my show. I'll talk about what I want to. You don't like it? Too bad. All right, NBA playoffs. Two games on the NBA hardwood yesterday. One series just getting underway, while another coming to an end. In Philadelphia, the Sixers and Hawks playing a game seven to see who would advance to take on the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Final. Game was tight throughout. Philly led by three at the end of the first quarter, 28-25. 
Hawks would turn the tables in the second quarter, outscoring Philly by five to take a two-point lead into the half. Hawks increased that lead to five, heading into the final quarter. Sixers would not go away. I mean, they kept it within five, three, you know, one here and there, all throughout the fourth quarter. They cut it down to one at one point, but then the Hawks pulled away late. Trey Young, front court, three-point line. He's guarded by Tobias Harris. Moves him to the top, tried to get around to the right, no doing. Lost the handle, chasing it down at half with seven to shoot. Young gets by Harris, float for the rim. Capella guides it through. Alley-oop, Atlanta with a three-point lead. The call right there on ESPN Radio. Little later on, Trey Young, who struggled for most of the game. He was just 5 of 23 from the floor. But when it came down to crunch time, the Young Young came through. Here's Trey Young standing inside a half court with Atlanta up three. Two and a half to go. He's going to try a long three, and he's going to make it. Of course he is. One for 10 from three before that shot, and Atlanta takes a six-point lead. 93-87 at that point. The Hawks would kind of keep the Sixers at arm's length down the stretch. Kevin Herter, Maryland fans remember him, tacked on three free throws down the stretch. And in the end, it was all over but the crying for the 76ers. Herter will inbound to Trey Young. The final four seconds will tick off. It is a stunner in South Philly. The Atlanta Hawks, the five seed, have outlasted top-seeded Philadelphia winning Game 7 on the road. 103-96 Atlanta wins, and it'll be the Hawks and the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. You hear all the boos in the background, and rightfully so. You heard Mark Kessischer right there, 103-96. Atlanta goes into Philly, knocks off the top-seeded Sixers to move on to their first East Final since 2015. Young, despite the terrible night shooting, still had 21 points. Herder, fear the Terp, led the Hawks with 27 points. To put a cap on the game, one of the guys you just heard right here, they called it on ESPN Radio, Mark Kessischer and John Barry. JB, I think many fans wrote off the Atlanta Hawks going into the New York Knicks series. They went, they rolled the Knicks. Not many gave them any chance against the top-seeded 76ers. They end up winning three times in Philadelphia, including the decisive seventh game. Uh, Yeah, I I certainly wrote them off after losing game six at home. I I thought that was the only opportunity that they were going to have to get this series over with. And uh, give them a lot of credit. I mean, their best player goes five for 23, two for 11 from the three-point line, uh, and they find a way to win on the road. Uh, So I, I think... It's not going to be as much crediting the Atlanta Hawks as it's going to be crushing the Philadelphia 76ers, particularly up in Philadelphia as uh, they let two huge leads go in two of the games in the series, a 28 or 26-point lead and an 18-point lead. Uh, again, the fourth quarters have killed them. They were 4 for 18 in game six, lucky enough to escape that. Tonight, 25 points, just two of eight from three. Uh, 17 turnovers in the ball game, and, and we talked about it throughout this series. Is they just don't have uh, somebody that's a direct link to their coach on the floor, and no one can take the reins and 
get this group to do the right things. A, a lot of terrible possessions. I mentioned the turnovers. Uh, guys just aren't put in the right situation. Uh, the recognition of things that work offensively, uh, you have to continue to pound that and do it. And, uh, you know, time and time again, they just don't do it. And uh, they paid the price, credit Atlanta, and uh, it's Atlanta-Milwaukee. I don't know that many people had this one penciled in for the Eastern Conference Final. Well, another tough loss for Doc Rivers, uh, whose run in Los Angeles ended with a Game 7 loss last year in the bubble. Uh, he's now lost four straight Game 7s, and the Atlanta Hawks move on to Milwaukee, a team uh, they only beat once. They they did beat them the last time they met on April the 25th. How are you envisioning this Eastern Conference Final between the Bucks and the Hawks? I, I think there's going to be a ton of points. Uh, obviously, Mike Budenholzer, a former Atlanta Hawk coach, probably coached a bunch of these guys on this team, so he's going to be very familiar uh, with how they play. Uh, look, Milwaukee found a way to get it done against Brooklyn. We all wrote them off when they were down 2-0. Uh, they found a way to get it done. Giannis has had some huge games, and uh, the reliance on Giannis isn't quite as big as it's been in the years past. That's why they believe they're a better team. Uh, and we'll find out. But uh, it should be a lot of fun, a lot of points going up on the board. So the top-seeded Philadelphia 76ers, gone. The two-seed in the East, Brooklyn Nets, gone. The Milwaukee Bucks, the three-seed, Home court advantage. Pfizer Forum should be hopping Wednesday night. So, I mean, think about it. It's either going to be the Bucks or the Hawks in the NBA Finals. I don't think anybody, where most people didn't have that when the season started, right? The Bucks or the Hawks, one of those two guaranteed to play for the NBA championship. Really, you look at the Final Four, and we'll get to the other game in the Western Conference here in a second. I don't think many people had heading into the season. Hawks had been 0-9, by the way, all-time in Game 7s on the road before yesterday. And you heard the guys say it. They won three games in Philly. Like, so much for being the top seed and getting that home court advantage. They lost three. Philly lost three games on their home court. After the game, Trey Young, we mentioned 21 points despite a bad shooting night. Uh, he caught up with the uh, TNT crew. Wanted to come out here and win, um, not only for my teammates but for my dad. Uh, we, we've been we've been through a lot, so uh, for for us to have a playoff game on Father's Day, it was only right uh, once we won to give it to him. Trey, I said this a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm impressed by your season this year. You've come a long way. You've shown a lot of maturity. What was your thought process coming into this game tonight? Uh, really, just to attack them uh, the way we've been been playing and um, just treat it like a regular game. Obviously, we know it's a game seven. Everybody's excited. Uh, know this is a big game. Um, but to come out here and play uh, like we've been playing and just, I mean, continue to stay calm, clear and connected, like Coach says, and uh, out there on the court. And uh, we, we did it in a big way. So, Well, Kevin, uh, Trey, number one, congratulations. But tell me about Kevin Herter. He was, wow. Yeah, no, I mean he's a uh, he's been doing that all year, uh, guys. He's uh, he he can really shoot the ball. He can really put the ball on the floor and get to his spots. And uh, he's a tall guy, uh, six seven, who can really shoot over you. So he can he can really do a lot. And uh, we needed all his points tonight and uh, all his playmaking ability tonight. Trey, congratulations, getting the Atlanta Hawks. Think about this: four games away from the NBA Finals. And um, I just want to say. Uh, what was the emphasis 
when you first came in to Game Seven. You've had a Game Seven with you had a game with the Knicks. Now you have a Game Seven here. What was your emphasis and difference between series to series? Um, really, it was to push the pace. Uh, we knew uh, they're a big team, uh, so really to get those guys in transition and pushing, um, getting them tired, and uh, really putting their bigs and picking rolls, and that was a big thing for us. And uh, they, they did a good job stopping it a little bit in the first half, but as the game went on, uh, we just kind of found a mismatch, and um, it's really it's really been the same thing in both series, just trying to find that that. Uh, I mean, that, that thing that gets us over the, the, the hump. And um, it was good to really find that in the second half and get it to Gallo and Kev got, got going. And uh, they really helped us push it over. I know that you want to celebrate this one, Trey. Um, but can you uh, oblige me and, and take a quick look at this uh, Eastern Conference Finals and uh, a matchup with the Milwaukee Bucks? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fun. Uh, they're a talented team. Um, they're, they're, they got a lot, of, a lot of guys on that side who can play. And uh, it's going to be a fun battle. Um, both teams are, are locked in, and uh, it's going to be fun. So what he's saying is it's, it's going to be fun. Uh, Joel Embiid doing all he could with that bum knee. 31 points, 11 rebounds yesterday for the Sixers. Tobias Harris, 24. Ben Simmons, who is absolutely miserable, especially over the last three games of the series. He had five points in 36 minutes. Where they go from here with him, I have no idea. Finally, before we go to break, a tale of two head coaches. First, the victorious head coach of the Hawks, uh, Nate McMillan. I'm really happy for this group of guys and and coaches because, you know, all that we've talked about, you know, they have done. There's no quit in this team. They continue to uh, work together. They continue to trust each other. Uh, They continue to believe. I can't believe how calm I was throughout this game. And I think it just came from the fact that I knew these guys were going to give me everything that they had. They did to to finish a series again on the opponent's home court. Just shows the growth of, uh, of this group of men. And then there's Sixers head coach Doc Rivers, who has now lost four straight game sevens which is tied for the longest losing streak in a decisive game for any head coach in NBA history. Really disappointing. Honestly, I think everybody's disappointed. You know, give the Hawks credit. Nate McMillan did a hell of a job. And they, they you know, listen, this was a muddy, ugly game tonight. And it just seemed like they made the right plays. I just thought, um, you know, we had 17 turnovers. If you, if you want to circle one thing, the 17 turnovers, you know, we shot, what, 75% from the free throw line. They just had too many extra shots at the end of the day, you know, for us to win the game. But offensively is what, to me, let us down tonight. You know, I thought our defense hung in there as long as it could. We couldn't make shots. I didn't think we trust passing tonight. I think it's a great lesson for us, but not the lesson we want to learn in the game seven. So the Hawks pull off the shocker. They take out the Sixers in seven to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. While that series came to a close, another series opened up out west, the Western Conference Final, Game 1, between the Suns and the Clips. And we'll get to that game next. Stick around. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Phoenix hosting the L.A. Clippers. Uh, each team missing one big superstar. The Clips uh, did not have Kawhi Leonard for the third straight game because of his 
a sprained right knee. The Suns did not have CP3, Chris Paul, but they did have Devin Booker. With 1.10 to go, Booker snakes around the screen, pulls up over Beverly. He is hotter than fish grease. Devin Booker has the last 16 for the Suns. No need for other shot makers. Deep Book in the house. The call on ESPN Radio, you heard Doris Burke say at one point Booker scored 16 straight points for the Suns. And when he wasn't busy scoring, he was dishing. Picked off by Bridges. They got a two-on-one with Booker. Booker, Bridges, alley you. Cash. It's 113-104 for the Suns. Timeout, Clippers. 120-114 the final. Devin Booker, first career triple-double. Regular season or playoffs, 40 points, 13 rebounds, 11 assists. Suns win by six. They win game one of the Western Conference Final. Here is D-Book after the game. I mean, it's very special, but, you know, the, the win feels better. You know, that's what I'm out there for um, the whole entire time. So, you know, part of the triple-double is the assist, and that's, you know, my teammates making them pay for, you know, running and doubling and, you know, seeing different types of defenses. Um, the rebounds come from D.A. boxing out, you know, when he has a Zubak or Boogie and me coming in and getting the rebound. So, you know, it takes a whole collective team group to get get what we got done tonight. So that was Booker talking about, hey, you know, triple-double is special. But as you can imagine, this time of year, getting the win, uh, far more important. Suns put all five starters in double figures DeAndre Ayton, the big fella, 20 points, nine rebounds, two assists. He caught up with uh, Mark Jones after the game. DeAndre, thanks a lot for joining us. 20 points, nine rebounds on a very efficient 10 of 14 shooting. When you saw DeAndre, what the Clippers were able to do against the Jazz big man, Rudy Gobert, what was your thought process in being able to be impactful against their small ball lineup today? Just knowing know, my KYP, know my personnel, uh, making sure I move my feet, show my hands, showing the refs that I'm, you know, just going up straight up verticality when these guards are attacking me. You know, just making sure I stay on the floor and, you know, just be there for my team as a presence. DeAndre, so much of this season, I feel like Chris Paul's signature stamp has been all over this team in terms of competitive spirit, understanding the value of every possession. But can you just speak to your group's ability to get contributions across the board and win a Western Conference Finals game without him? Well, it's definitely, um, you know, a guy like CP, you know, his, his spirit is everywhere on this team. Um, he's the biggest leader I've ever been around, and we honor him and we miss him. But definitely we have to get the job done no matter who's out there. You know, we stuck to our principles and we play the way we play. You know, we have a guy like Devin Booker and CP leading us in the backcourt, and we felt real comfortable, you know, and we got the job done today. This is your first appearance in the playoffs, and uh, you have been seemingly unshakable, DeAndre, so far in your games. Uh, what's been the best, best part of your game so far, and, and what's been the key to you being able to stay as poised as you've been? Just approaching the game the right way. You know, I have an unbelievable team that keeps me level-headed and just keeps me grounded, and, you know, we work every day. You know, uh, nobody is bigger than nobody on this team. We love each other, and we play as a unit. There's a thing we call togetherness on the court, and that's what we go by and stand by. Uh, Paul George had 34 points, uh, Reggie Jackson 24 uh, for the Clips. Game two tomorrow back in Phoenix. 
Not sure about the status of either Kawhi or CP3. Of course, again, Kawhi, the bum knee, Chris Paul in the COVID-19 protocol. Not sure if either one will be available tomorrow as the Suns try to take a two-games-to-none lead in the Western Conference Final. And again, like I said last segment, we're talking about the East Final. Like We're guaranteed to have a matchup, some matchup, some combination of the Bucks, the Hawks, the Suns, and the Clippers in the NBA Final. I don't think many people, when this season started, saw those four teams as the last four teams standing. Right, No Sixers, no Nets in the Big Three, no LeBron and the defending champion Lakers. It's just who saw it coming. If you did, let me know because I want to take you to Vegas and uh, you know put some money down on some stuff. I want to know who you are if you had those four teams as the final four in the NBA. All right, hour number one in the books. When we come back, hour number two, uh, U.S. Open. Cole Beasley ruffling some feathers in the NFL. All that and more. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. As we kick off this hour with a rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we'll start. In D.C., where the Nationals' Kyle Schwarber capped off a monster weekend against the Mets. Here's the 0-1. Swing a fly ball, well hit left field. Back on this one, Smith toward the track, near the wall, and it's off the top of the wall. And gone! It's gone! He breaks it off the top of the wall for his third home run of the day. That's right. Not one, not two, but three home runs. That call right there on the Nationals' radio network. First career three-homer game for Schwarber as the Nats beat the Mets 5-2 to take three of four in the series. Schwarber now has 18 home runs this season. He tied a major league record with five home runs in two games because he had two on Saturday, three yesterday. And he set the Nationals-slash-Expos franchise record with nine home runs in ten games. Schwarber drove in four of the five runs yesterday, his second straight four RBI game. Here he is after the game on uh, just getting it done. To be honest with you, I don't know what's going on. You know, obviously, this, like I've said before, the consistent work in the cage, I think, has been a a big thing. And um, I think overall, just feeling comfortable at the plate. I I think that's uh, a big contributor. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going up there just trying to hit home runs, you know, I'm just, you know, I got a guy on second base trying to drive him in and uh, ball, you know, hits the top of the fence, goes out, you know, things like that. I mean, there's, there's a little bit of luck involved, but, uh, you know, happy to get the job done and uh, happy to get the win at the end of the day. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, there's mechanical, there's approach, things like that. But, you know, when you step in the box and everything feels right, you already got a big advantage. And uh, it's just a matter of, I would say, trusting everything else. And, uh, you know, that's what I've been doing is just trusting and um, not trying to do too much. And you know what? Like, I don't want to expand. I'm not trying to swing at balls out of the zone. And, uh, you know, if you take a walk, you pass on the next guy. 
So Schwarber mashing the ball lately, really been crushing the ball since uh, Davey Martinez moved him to the leadoff spot. A good managerial move, which we don't see a lot of around here these days. I'll get to that in just a second. Washington entered the weekend seven games behind the first-place Mets in the NL East. They are now five back after taking three of four. So a big, as big as a series you can get in June, mid-June. They go from seven back to five back. They are now out of last place. That now belongs to the Marlins. Both the Nats and Braves tied at 33 and 36, five games out. Philly is four games out behind the Mets. So the Nationals, spearheaded by Schwarber, Josh Bell's getting a little hot. Of course, Trey Turner's been doing his thing. Juan Soto returns to the Juan Soto we know. Soto's having a decent year by most players' standards, but not by his standards. Nationals get that rotation in order. Of course, you know, Scherzer on the IL, Strasburg on the IL, Corbin up and down. And that's got a chance, especially because the NL East just simply isn't as good as we thought it was going to be. It's competitive, but for all the wrong reasons, right? We thought it would be the toughest division in baseball, not so much, but still competitive because all the teams are just equally, you know, kind of slightly above or below average uh, right now. Uh, elsewhere in the bigs, the Pirates were looking to sweep the Indians out of Pittsburgh. Pulls it right into the heart of the shift, and it gets through. Coming around third and scoring the go-ahead run is Eddie Rosario. Josh Naylor, he threaded the needle, and the Indians take a 2-1 to lead. His second hit of the ballgame. So the Indians get there, and that goes to Brubaker. He's upset. The call on Fox Sports Ohio. We talked about uh, Davey Martinez and his good move to put Kyle Schwarber in the leadoff spot. Yesterday, Pirates manager Derek Shelton, not a good move. Two won the final. Indians win to avoid the three-game sweep. And you heard them mention JD or JT Brubaker. He was cruising. Pitched very well for the Bucks. Six and two-thirds innings. Allowed two runs on three hits with nine strikeouts. However, he was pulled by Shelton in that seventh inning, two outs, a guy on second, in favor of some guy named Chasen Shreve, who immediately gave up the RBI single to Naylor. Because the guy on second was still Brubaker's responsibility, that run went to Brubaker. And he got the loss, despite that one of the better efforts by a Pirates pitcher this season. He still took the L. And when I watched the video of it, after Naylor's single, they immediately cut to the dugout, the TV side. And Brubaker was not happy, and rightfully so. After the game, rightfully so, uh, Derek Shelton was asked about the move to take Brubaker out and bring Shreve in. Shelton, it seemed like you got the matchup that you wanted there with the way Naylor hits lefties, the way Shreve is fared against lefties. Is that the move, um, or is it more about protecting JT and, and you know more of a future focus kind of thing? No, it was, it was all about the matchup. JT did a heck of a job. I mean, he threw the ball 
extremely well, was extremely efficient. Uh, we went into that inning. If we had, you know, a guy on base and we had the left-hander there, we were going to go to Shreve. And Shriver came in and got a ground ball that, that went through. But, yeah, it was a matchup. JT threw the ball well, so that was 100%. You know, my decision on we had the matchup we liked, and, uh, you know, it didn't work out. But JT threw the ball well. I'm sure you heard the reaction uh, from the crowd even when you came out before the hit happened. Um, and there there has been a pattern lately where you've taken guys out, I guess by some measures, pretty quickly. Um, how do you how do you respond to that? I mean, I know you're not going to, you know, revisit every decision and say, I apologize for all of these or whatever. But, you know, how do you approach that? I actually I do revisit every decision. I think about it after games. I mean, the fact of that response that they're passionate, that's good. I mean, they wanted him to stay in the game. I, under, I understand that. I mean, I made the decision that I thought was the best decision for us at the time. But the fact that they're passionate, I love that. You know, the fact they're back in the ballpark, that's great. Jacob Stallings, oh, by the way, had an RBI single to drive in the only run for the Bucks, And they were talking about the crowd reaction at PNC Park. Uh, they were booing when Shelton came out to take out Brubaker, and rightfully so. And I love the reporter. I don't know who that was. Basically holding Shelton's feet to the fires. Hey, man, there's been a pattern of you pulling pitchers out early and it not working out. Right? Once is bad luck. Twice coincidence after that. And really, you know, Shelton's explanation, well, we had the matchup we liked. Just leave the guy in the game. I'm not going to go through it again. I went through it. I got aggravated last hour. If you missed it, check it out on the podcast page later on today. I'm not going to go through the whole spiel again. But Brubaker was having a really good game. Let's keep this leave him in the game. Leave him in the game. If that runner on second was his responsibility, then leave him in to be responsible for it. If he gives up a hit, then he earns the loss. Right? But you pull him out. Shreve Canelo, I understand again. Hindsight 2020. If Shreve comes in and strikes out Naylor or gets a ground out, then we're not talking about it because the game's still 1-1 and who knows. We have the luxury to sit there after the fact, but it wouldn't be nearly as bad if this isn't like, this is the last in a string of decisions by Shelton that just haven't worked out. And I have just grown tired of the whole, well, we like the matchup, the lefty-lefty thing. Just leave the guy in the pitch. Right? Your team sucks. Okay? Shelton, the Pirates, your team stinks. What do you have to lose? Leave Brubaker in, see if you can get out of the inning. Like, you're not, you're not managing for the pennant. You're not managing for first place. Like, if you at this point, if you lose the game, it doesn't really matter. So let leave Brubaker in, let him finish the job he started, and see what happens. No, it's lefty-lefty matchups. We had to make the move. Anyway, it's a stupid move. I thought Clint Hurdle was bad with pitching decisions. Shelton might be right up there with him, and he's only been on the job for a year and a half. In Baltimore, uh, Reese McGuire, former Pirate, had three doubles as part of a four-hit day as the Blue Jays beat the Orioles 7-4 to take two of three in uh, that series. Uh, Yun Jin Ryu uh, threw seven solid innings for Toronto. He wasn't taken out of the game early. He allowed just one run on three hits. 
since joining the Blue Jays last season, he is 2-0 with a 0.95 ERA in uh, three starts against Baltimore. Trey Mancini homered twice for the O's, who have lost 10 of their last 11. Speaking of Orioles and Penmar baseball action, the Cumberland Orioles played four games this weekend and won all four. On Saturday, they beat the Oakland Oaks uh, 6-4 and 9-5. Then yesterday, they swept the, I don't know how you pronounce it, is it Moco Thunderbirds? Mako? I don't know. Either way, the Thunderbirds lost both games. Uh, Wes Athey had two hits and three RBI in one of the wins over the T-Birds. I know one win was 11-0. I don't know about the other one because I was sent the same box score twice. I was sent two box scores from yesterday's game, and they were both the same. So I know at least one game was 11-0. And in high school football, yes, high school football in June. West Virginia's annual North-South game was uh, played Saturday at South Charleston High School. And the North won the game 26 to nothing thanks to a bunch of Eastern Panhandle players. Eastern Panhandle represents, son. Spring Mills quarterback Keon Padmore Johnson scored on touchdown runs of 42 and 10 yards. Also had a 42-yard touchdown pass. Uh, Martinsburg's Kevon Warren had a 14-yard touchdown run. Padmore Johnson and Warren accounted for 245 of the North's 270 yards. Musselman's Justin Reinhardt led the North defense with 10 tackles. And a uh, quick shout-out to, uh, I think there were three uh, Mineral County players in that game. Is that correct? Uh, Two from Frankfurt, uh, Jansen Moreland and Brock Robinette. And I do believe Gavin Root from Kaiser also played for the North in that game. So shout-out to those uh, Mineral County student-athletes. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporelli Group. All right, uh, moving on. Yesterday was, of course, Sunday, which usually means the last day of a golf tournament. In case you didn't know, the U.S. Open final round at Torrey Pines in Cali. And it literally came down to the wire. Takes one last look at the hole. Gets the ball started on the left-hand side, breaking back down to the right. Break ball. It's in! John Rahm with two big, huge fist bumps gets him to six under par with a birdie, birdie finish. He takes the lead in the 121st U.S. Open. That is the way it sounded on Sirius XM PGA Radio. John Rahm birdies the final two holes of the tournament. And he finishes one shot ahead of Louis Oosthaven to win the U.S. Open. Nobody had ever birdied the last two holes to win the U.S. Open by one shot in the previous 120 editions of the U.S. Open. And Rom, same course, Torrey Pines where he made a 50-foot eagle putt on the final hole to clinch his very first PGA Tour victory. Then fast forward to yesterday, two birdies to clinch it, his first major championship in 20 tries, and he says after the tournament that he got some motivation from an old friend. It's incredible that I'm sitting next to this trophy. You know, um, A couple of weeks ago, I watched my good friend Phil win it. 
not this one, but when, uh, when the PGA and I took a lot of inspiration from that, you know, um, I've been close before and I just knew on a Sunday, the way I had been playing on the Sundays, the last few, the last few majors, I, I just had to be close and I knew I could get it done and I'm keeping that good Sunday mojo going. Uh, and man, I got it done in, in a fashion that apparently only can happen to me at Torrey Pines. And remember, Rom was the guy who was kicked out of the memorial with like a six-stroke lead a few weeks ago because of COVID protocols. And now he comes back in the U.S. Open, and he wins it. Again, his first major in 20 tries. He is the first player from Spain to win the U.S. Open, fourth player from Spain to win a major, along with Sergio Garcia, Jose Maria Olazabal and Seve Ballesteros. They were the other three. And again, Rom was the first player to birdie each of the final two holes of a major since. And he mentioned his uh, motivation, Phil Mickelson. Phil did it in 2013 at the Open Championship. How did Rom get it done? ESPN's Andy North says, well, he's just a really good all-around golfer. I think there's be a lot of people who like to put a lot of money on him because he he really has no holes in his game. He's his putting has been one thing that's held him back in the last year. He hasn't putted as well as he did a year or so ago, but obviously he made huge putts when he needed to this week. He was the best player from the opening tee shot Thursday to the last putt on Sunday. Now the defending champion Bryson DeChambeau shot an eight over forty four. <laughs> on the back nine, and he tied for 26th at the U.S. Open. I I can relate to that. I can't relate to John Rahm uh, birdieing the last two holes to win a major, but I can relate to uh, DeChambeau shooting an 8-over-44. And he just said it was just bad break after bad break. He had back-to-back bogues on 11 and 12, then a double bogue on 13. Then a quadruple bogue on 17. Again, I feel his pain. He finished the final round 6 over 77. And again, uh, a tie for 26 at 3 over 287 for the tournament. So there you go. John Rahm. He was the favorite. He was the odds-on favorite going into the U.S. Open. He was uh, 9-1. to one. He was the only single-digit fave heading into uh, Thursday. DeChambeau, I think he was one of several. Uh, there was a 15. I, I don't know. I said it. I can't remember. I said it Thursday. I don't know if it was 15 to 1 or 12. I can't remember. And it's rare, as far as I can recall, that an odds-on favorite heading into, unless it was Tiger Woods, of course, an odds-on favorite heading into a major actually wins it. But Ron pulls it off. And again, you're kind of rooting for him a little bit because of the way he was, you know, unceremoniously bounced from the memorial because of COVID protocol. So you're kind of pulling for him because I thought he was treated unfairly at the memorial. And he comes back, and boom, there you go. He wins it. Again, first uh, player from Spain to ever win the U.S. Open. All right, time for a break. We got news and the weather coming up. When we come back, we have an NFL wide receiver who says when it comes to the COVID vaccine, I'm going to do what I want to do 
And I don't care if you like it or not. Stick around for that. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN. Nope, that's the wrong one. It's WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. A happy uh, one day late Father's Day to all the dads out there. Hope uh, hope you enjoyed the weekend. I took uh, what's I'm not not took part in. What's where I'm, I can't remember what, what am I looking for here? I didn't take part in food. I mean, I, I do. Anyway. <laughs> I could have started that any poorly. Wife and I, Mrs. C, we're sitting around Friday, all right? And we're trying to figure out something to do for dinner because little C's out of town right now. So it's just the two of us. And it's one of those deals where, like, neither of us wanted to cook, right? It was a Friday. It was just like, you know, let's, let's you know, go out and get some grub, right? And we decided to try out a place in Cumberland because we have a place that advertises on, on some of our stations. Not, you know, look, I'm, I'm not getting paid to say this. All right. I'm just, this is just my personal experience because I don't, I don't get paid for anything around here, but <laughs> there's a joint They have a, a place in Romney. Now they have a place in downtown Cumberland. It's called uh, a lost mountain barbecue company. You know what I'm talking about? Let me tell you something. It was, Delicious. Okay. So much so that we got some on Friday and then we got some more yesterday. So if you are a barbecue person with the brisket and the pulled pork and the chicken and the stuff and the, you got, I I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. There wasn't a single thing because we tried out for the very first time on Friday. So we got, you know, just a little bit of try to, of everything, you know, a little something, you know, a little burrito here, right? Little uh, brisket sandwich there. Their mac and cheese, their mac bowls. Forget about it. Forget about it. If you go down there, get the mac bowl with the pulled chicken, and it's like a chipotle ranch sauce. You can thank me later. You can thank me later. That was phenomenal. And let me tell you something else. The people there are like super nice. Like we walked in there for the first time on Friday, and I didn't get the there's a young man's name behind the counter, but he had all kind of recommendations. He kind of helped us through because you know, sometimes you go to a place for the first time, you're not exactly sure what to get, what you're looking at, and the menu, whatnot. But he was super helpful. And every recommendation he made was just off the charts. And we go back yesterday, and there's another guy in there, an older gentleman. I'm not exactly sure who he might have been the owner. I don't know. But he's buzzing around this place, you know, giving people their orders, being very polite, opening the door for people as they leave and come in. Just like the whole because you don't get that everywhere you go. Every you know, you just don't. It's nice to go to a place where the people are nice and polite and helpful and respectful. And on top of that, you get some daggone good food. So there's your free plug for the week. Check it out. And I have to assume that the joint in Romney is just as good. Same same company. Lost Mountain Barbecue Company. 
delish. As a matter of fact, I can't wait to get home for lunch today and eat the leftovers from yesterday. Anyway. Uh, all right, so NFL talk here. Um, <laughs> Buffalo Bills receiver uh, Cole Beasley is making some waves with his stance on the COVID vaccine. All right. He released a statement on Twitter uh, this past Friday because he's getting some gruff. He's getting some backlash because he said that he is not vaccinated and he is going to live my one life like I want to regardless. And he wrote in this statement, I will be outside doing what I do. I'll be out in public. If you're scared of me, then steer clear or get vaccinated. I may die of COVID, but I'd rather die actually living. This was in response to something that came out last week. Because last week, the NFL and the NFLPA released their new guidelines regarding their COVID-19 protocols, okay? And Beasley and other players, not very happy about it, although Beasley more outspoken than most. Because really, if you're not vaccinated in the NFL, you are, or these players feel that they're being, what's the word, ostracized? They're being treated as outcast. And here are just some of the modifications to uh, the protocol. If you are fully, if you're a player here, if you're fully vaccinated, there is no daily testing required. If you're not fully vaccinated, you must be tested every single day. If you're fully vaccinated in the NFL, Masks are not required at club facility or during a team travel. If you're not fully vaccinated, masks are required at club facility and during travel. If you're fully vaccinated, no physical distancing required in club facility with other vaccinated individuals. If you're not vaccinated, you must remain physically distant from others at the facility. And it goes on and on and on. If you're fully vaccinated, there's no quarantine required after high-risk exposure to COVID. Of course, if you're not vaccinated, then you must be quarantined. There are no travel restrictions for vaccinated folks. There are travel restrictions for unvaccinated. You get the point. And the list is, is extensive. If you're fully vaccinated, you can eat in the cafeteria with other fully vaccinated individuals. If you're not vaccinated, you must you must be physically distanced in the meal room. You may not eat with other teammates. The staff must grab and go, no meals in the cafeteria. So so these new protocols get released and some folks like Cole Beasley not happy. And he actually spoke to the NFLPA afterwards. I guess they're trying to work some things out. But his initial reaction was very critical. Of course, he ran the Twitter like most people do these days. He tweeted, quote, this is crazy. Did we vote on this? I stay in the hotel. We still have meetings. We will all be together. 
vaccinated players can go out the hotel and bring COVID back to where I am. So what does it matter if I stay in the hotel now? He's got a point, actually. 100% immune with vaccination? No. Then he went on to say the Players Association is a joke. Call it something different. It's not for the players. Everyone gives me the 98% of people who are vaccinated don't get COVID again. The odds of me getting in the NFL and playing for 10 years are lower than that, and I'm here. He called it a joke. He was not very happy at all. And after that reaction, people went after him. He got some serious backlash, which prompted his statement saying, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do. He said, it's my choice based on my experiences and what I think is best. He says, if I'm forced into retirement, so be it. He'd rather retire from the NFL than get than for what he views as getting forced to get vaccinated. He said he's going to live freely with my wife, my kids, my extended family forever. If you're scared of me, he says, steer clear, point blank, period. So as you can imagine, several people uh, have opinions on this. Several people have, and again, he's not the only one that feels this way. There are several other players who feel the same exact way. He just letting you know about it. He doesn't care. Very outspoken. With a comment on his comments, uh, linebacker Sam Acho, who is, oh, what is he? I had the, I had the title here. I lost it. Oh, he is, he is the vice president of the Players Association Executive Committee, and he kind of respects what Beasley's uh, what he's saying here. Let's start with Cole Beasley, right? Like we're seeing, there's that perspective where it's like, hey, I can do what I want to do, and in so many ways, I respect Cole and his decision. To think about it, yes, Cole Beasley might be the one who's outspoken about saying, hey, I'll decide what I want to decide, but there's dozens, if not hundreds, of players that feel the exact same way that Cole Beasley feels. They're just not in a position to voice their opinion. If you look at the vaccination rates amongst teams, I think there's only two or three teams that have reached that 85% threshold. And so there's a, a, a large number of players that have a very similar feeling to Cole Beasley, and not just on vaccinations, on anything. Let me make my own decision and don't try to pressure or shame me into making a decision. And so I actually agree in so many ways with Cole Beasley. Let this dude make his own decision if he wants to play by these different protocols. Because mind you, if you actually take a step back and look at the protocols, life is super easy for NFL players who are vaccinated. Now, if you're not vaccinated, you can still play. You're just like, your life just becomes really, really hard. NFL can't force players to get vaccinated like they, like they can with coaches, but they can say, hey, if they can try and you know, divide. So, hey, if you're vaccinated, then you're free to do whatever you want. But if you're not vaccinated, we're going to ostracize you and make you uh, pretty much try to embarrass you in front of all your friends and peers. And that, that's not just the NFL. Think society-wide, right? Like nationwide, the same things are happening. If you are vaccinated, you can go outside and you can, uh, you know, you don't have to wear a mask. But if you're not, you got to wear your mask. And so, anyways, it's just it's just strategies that people use to try and get you to do something that you may or may not want to do or that you may have, they may not have control to be able to force you to do said thing. And so what I would say 
uh, is is at the end of the day, I think you've got to let people make their own own decisions. So he respects where Beasley's coming from. And he makes a good point there. When the NFL can't force players to get vaccinated, but they're going to put out these modified guidelines to make it like so difficult on the unvaccinated players that they're just going to, instead of going through the hassle of getting tested every day and going through, they're just going to get it done. Like that's their way around it. And it's funny when he says that, he said, you know, they're going to make unvaccinated, you know, they're going to ostracize them. They're going to embarrass them. They're going to make them feel uncomfortable for not getting the vaccine. And I think, where have I heard that before? Where have I heard that people who want to make their own decisions weren't allowed to? Where have I heard that if they didn't do a certain thing, that they would be embarrassed? If they didn't do a certain thing, they would be awesome. Where where have I heard that before? I, I thought, you know what? It's the masks all over again. Right? Remember when all the whole masks thing came out and if you didn't wear a mask, you were an idiot? You didn't wear a mask, you were uh, uh, you were killing grandma. Remember? I said, like, well, that, that sounds familiar. If you didn't wear a mask, you were ostracized, you were made to feel, you were embarrassed. People looked at you funny. They talked bad about you. It's the same thing. It's the same exact thing. But now it's just with vaccines. If you don't get a vaccine, now you're you're being ostracized. You're being cut out. You're being made to feel, call or hold on, that you're doing something wrong. It's the same thing. It's just different ends of the spectrum. Let's go to the rush line, 301-759-2628. You're up. Who's this? Dwayne, how you doing? Dwayne, what's going on, brother? Long time, no time. What's going on? Oh, well, uh, this this thing here, there's a couple of different things. You was just commenting on how um, people that wore masks were telling people that didn't wear masks that they was idiots and morons. Well, it goes both ways. It cuts both ways. Because the people that was wearing masks is like, I ain't wearing no chin diaper. You look stupid. You know, this is America. Buck up. This is your freedoms. You don't need to wear no mask. Right. And they was calling the same beat, like idiots and scared. And, and if you're scared, stay home. All of that stuff. I've heard all of that stuff. Oh, yeah. So it's yeah. not one-sided. It's not ever one-sided. Right. First off. Second off, Cole, Be- Cole Beasley's right. He's got a right to not get vaccinated. The NFL should not, you know, um, I guess label them a certain way or anything like that. If the NFL has a problem, they can, as a public or as a, as a private entity, just get rid of them. Right. If, if they have a problem, they have a right as a private, because I'm sure Cole Beasley has to, you know, take a physical, has to do all these different things in order to play. Right. So if they have a problem, just get rid of them. Right. That's, that's the thing. And that's what they could do. They're not doing it because there's still um, uh, an issue with people getting COVID. There's, I think there's more of a problem with uh, people not understanding uh, science and everything like that. If you go back to, like, polio vaccines and uh, uh, smallpox vaccines and all that stuff, 
I'm sure you had a handful of the same knuckleheads. I'm not doing this. But guess what? <laughs> guess what? Vaccines work. Right. Have you ever heard of anybody like dying of polio recently? It's very, 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 very rare. Right. Or smallpox. You know, figure it out. You know, I, I'm tired of like the people like this is America, my country. I do what I want. I'm a freedom. Blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> there's so many regulations and and everything like that that they follow. It, it, it's sickening. Just figure it out. Right. Don't make a big old stink about it. It's it's a vaccine. Um, yeah, it, it is newer than most of the the vaccines, like the the smallpox and uh, polio. It took years and years to develop. I get that, but guess what? Oh, they things didn't are, have the, all the technology right. that we do now. Things are different these days. Things are different. So, so I don't want to hear it. You know, if uh, here's what what I'm what I did. I'm vaccinated. Me too. I'm I'm going to go ahead and, and walk around. Because I want to test this thing out, you know. So I'm going to walk around with no mask on. Dwayne, I haven't asked people. I if, haven't worn if, a mask in a month. Yeah, I'm going to ask people. Are, are you comfortable? Because I work in people's homes. I'm, I'm going to ask them. Are you comfortable with me? If not, I'll put it on. It sure. doesn't matter to me. Sure. You know, and that's and that's my two cents. So thank you, Dwayne. All right, have a good one. You too, brother. Three zero one seven five nine two six two eight. But thanks for the call, Dwayne. Everybody has a right to decide what they want to do, right? And, and again, this is an argument we've had, and the point I was making, and Dwayne's right, it was, it was, both, it was both sides. You know, if you wore a mask, you looked at people who didn't wear one, like, you know, knucklehead. If you didn't wear one, and you looked at people who did, and you're like, knucklehead. So, it was, yeah, it was right. But the point I was making was, we've been doing this for a year and a half now. Now we're just doing it with vaccines and not masks, right? So when you hear about people who, you know, Cole Beasley, they're being ostracized and all this now, whatever, because he's not vaccinated, well, it was the same thing. It's just now it's a different, it's a different subject. It's a different topic. But I look, I agree. Just do what you want. I, and I said this before. If you don't want to get the vaccine, then don't. That it's it's your right. If you're still scared, I'm I'm not going to sit there and give you a hard time about it. It's your life. If you don't want to get the vaccine, that's fine. I got one. Dwayne got one. It's all good in the hood, right? I haven't worn a mask in public in probably a month. Because I'm not scared anymore. I'm just not. I feel like the vaccine, I feel confident. But that that's me. You know? Dwayne's way. This is America. Just do what you want to do. All right. Uh, one quick break. Back to wrap it up. Stick around. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Before we get out of here, let's check on the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Who else but the Suns, D-Book. With 110 to go, Booker snakes around the screen, pulls up over Beverly. He is hotter than fish grease. Devin Booker has the last 16 for the Suns. No need for other shot makers. Deep Book in the house. The call on ESPN Radio. I have no idea what kind of grease Mark Jones was talking about, but I know it's not what it sounded like he said. But I have no idea what he said. But as you heard Doris Burke say, at one point, Devin Booker scored 16 straight for the Suns. His first career triple-double, 40 points, 13 rebounds, 11 assists. 
to lead Phoenix over the Clippers 120 to 114 in game one of the Western Conference Final. Booker is the sixth player in NBA history to record multiple 40-point games in his first career postseason, joining Luka, LeBron, Bob McAdoo, Rick Barry, and Wilt. He is also the first Suns player since Steve Nash to put up a triple-double in the playoffs. So the Suns' Devin Booker, our player who delivered, uh, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Of course, Steve Nash, a uh, pretty good seat to uh, watch that game yesterday because his nets were eliminated (laughs) over the weekend by Milwaukee. Hard to blame Nash, though, right? Oh, wait a minute. I've got to do that. There we go. I still don't have my laptop, so I'm still here reading stuff off the paper. Like, this is 1974. Like, all all of a sudden, Walter Cronkite. Although, I would never be confused with somebody as great as Walter Cronkite. It's been four... What has it been now? It's been over a week since my laptop went to the shop. I really, desperately want it back. Anyway, I can't blame Steve Nash entirely for what happened to the Nets. Uh, I said it before. If the Nets' big three were all healthy, nobody was going to beat them. Nobody was going to beat them. Problem is, they weren't always healthy. They played their last few games with a healthy Kevin Durant, a hobbled James Harden, and Kyrie non-existent because he was out with the ankle injury. So the Bucs took advantage, and they beat him. So there you go. Can't blame Steve Nash. I really can't. Completely, totally. One quick MLB note. Uh, Tampa Bay, the Rays, set to bring up Wander Franco. Is it Franco or Franco? I think it's Franco. He is headed to the big leagues. He is the number one ranked prospect in all of baseball. A 20-year-old switch-hitting infielder will be with Tampa when they kick off a series with the Red Sox tomorrow. In 39 games for AAA Durham, Franco hit 315 with seven home runs and 35 runs batted in. Right now, the Rays, they have lost six straight. Their longest losing streak since losing eight straight back in 2018. So maybe they're doing this, a little, little jump start, bring up the youngster. Again, uh, this Franco kid, the number one ranked prospect in all of baseball. will join the Rays for their series against Boston uh, tomorrow in Tampa. All right, that's it. Show's over. Amanda is up next with Tri-State Today. Stick around for that. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you as always. See you back here tomorrow, 6 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Bye.